Welcome to the Sports Finder Podcast. Let's get ready to rumble! Sport Finder community, we're back with our popular segment where we interview founders, professionals, and great people from the world of sports from all over the globe. And, and today we have Mr. Gustavo with us. Gustavo, welcome to the show, buddy. How's things? Thank you. Thank you. Things are great. Uh, lots of projects, uh, lots of uh, initiatives. Things are great here. Mr. Gustavo, um, you're involved in many, many projects, and uh, <laughs> we, we we can't go into all of them today. But what I do want to do is let's let's get back to where it all started with you, and then we can get into your project later. All right. So just a little story from uh, my back background. Uh, I've started uh, the mining business. And I spent a couple of years of my professional career in the mining business uh, back in Brazil, um, second biggest mining company in the world. I was fortunate enough to travel all the continents, you know, did a little bit of everything from procurement to IT, uh, strategic planning, everything uh, that a normal, you know, corporate employee would do. Uh, but I've always, I was always involved in sports in any shape or form. I've played basketball, I've, I've swam. Uh, I was a, always an active person, uh, and sports was really part of my life. Uh, and then I had a chance, you know, as everybody knows, that the Rio 2016, I, I'm from Brazil, I'm from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Uh, as you all know, the Olympic movement came to town. Uh, we were awarded the uh, Rio 2016 Olympic Games, the first games in South America. And in the end of 2014, I was fortunate enough to be hired by the local organized committee to work on the, the results service department, which is pretty much the we were the responsibles for timing and scoring and all the competitions at the Olympic Games. So it was a pretty huge uh, challenge. Uh, so you guys will understand that everything that was on TV, on internet, on the mobile apps, all the timing for all of the sports, like rosters, uh, starting lineups, everything was our responsibility and also all the planning of the venues, the field of play, and all the timing equipment that we needed to make sure that we had all the, the scores and time right for every competition. So imagine uh, the Usain Bolt, you know, the 100 meter, the final sprint. Uh, once the guy, one Usain, once Usain Bolt, or, and all the other athletes were on the block, in the starting block, all the way to the finish line. That was our our mission, our responsibility to make sure that the timing was right, to make sure that uh, we told the world the story of the game. So it was it was pretty fun, pretty competitive, uh, a lot of pressure, 
and you know we had fun and we were able to do it. I was, I had my team was a great team, people from all over the the, the place. We worked with guys, very nice guys, very uh, guys with experience from previous games, uh, and we all had fun with it. So, and after that, uh, I was. Uh, I was time to go. I, I decided that it was time to go back to school. So I I came to the U.S. to study to get my second master's in sports business management and be that at the University of Central Florida, which is which is one of the top ten programs in the U.S. as far as sports business. And from that moment on, I connected with the guys, and I was always interested in uh, youth sports and grassroots and the impact of sports in the communities. And I started to work with the uh, Clancy's Sports, which is an organization that works with uh, what is the impact of sports in each of the communities. So we do a lot of strategic planning for a city, for state for a county here to you know make sure that the guide them through the, the weeds of sports and you know which tournament, which event, you know, where which venue you set up, all that kind of stuff. So and that's pretty much it in a nutshell. It, it there's a lot of things going on. We have our hands in a lot of stuff from college to youth level, a little bit of professional. We do a little bit of work with uh, some NFL teams and, and NBA teams, but this is very limited. We are more focused on uh, from college all the way down to recreation participatory sports and the group and the grassroots sports in the U.S. Very nice. Very, very interesting. Brazil, Orlando, Florida, you've <laughs> You've been from yeah. from world to world, Olympics. It's all happening. Um, let's talk about a current issue now that uh, that's really prominent or that's that's, that's really made um, sound waves in the in the in the world of sport, or I should say college sport, um, with the uh, NCAA athletes now being able to take on sponsorships and endorsements and whatnot, that's a very hot topic. What are your thoughts? Yeah, on, it is, it is. Yeah, every, every, everyone's talking about it, literally everyone. What are your thoughts on, on, on this whole uh, ruling and whatnot? Uh, okay, so this is a very hot topic and uh, a lot of discussions are going on, uh, especially with the last couple of months uh, when California signed up the the deal, the, the law that states that the California is what if whoever California California athletes, college athletes uh, can be paid uh, for endorsements and, and whatnot. Uh, personally, I don't think that's right. Uh, I think that it's going against the whole uh, amateurism uh, of sports, and I think there is a lack of. Uh, uh, I don't think they look at all the variables around that decision, you know, to be to 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 just go ahead and do that. You know, for instance, we can look at, you know, what are the consequences of that type of decision. I mean, on one hand, we have the the the, the student athlete, which is 
begging and, and the culture has changed a lot with social media and and Facebooks and Instagrams and Snapchats and all that and and the kids just want to you know they are already doing posting their live song on, on Instagram and all and whatnot but they want to try to get paid for that but the NCAA was pretty clear on the rules that they have for amateurism so I think that's the whole ground of you know, let's keep the sport as a way of education, uh, and and let's let's use the sport to educate and to make the lives better for those kids, right? Another another point of view or another situation is that you know, if you look from a business side, uh, those kids they are already being paid. You know, it's not a direct uh, salary. But hey, if we do the math, you know, we are talking about, you know, tuition, uh, room and board, food, all the nutrition that those guys are have access to, uh, all included in their in their education, and they don't pay for anything. Right? If you take like a college, a D1 football team, you know, those guys have probably access to probably the best sports facility for training, the best nutritionists, all of that included in that program. And, you know, on top of that, you know, get paid, I think is just a little bit over the edge. And that's just on the athlete side. If we look on the sports side itself, what are the consequences of, you know, having the student or the student after being paid, and if we look at some of the other sports that are not the mainstream, like let's say swimming, right? We know that all the Olympians, all the gold medalists, you know, from the U.S., they are also college athletes that swim in Auburn or they they participate in a big swimming program. So if we if if the NCAA or of the university or whatever, if those athletes start to get paid, you know, what is going to happen with the Olympic, the International Olympic Committee? Will, will, they, will, will they be allowed to go back and to compete in the Olympic Games, which is supposed to be a, you know, amateur game that, uh, you know, have all the old, the whole spirit of Olympic, you know, and it, it, it's, there's a lot of variables around this topic and it's, you have the pressure from the kids now that uh, you know they they are all from a premature way from a premature uh, side that uh, they think they are superstars. You know, is it right for the development of the kid? You know, a seventeen year old, seventeen years old, eighteen years old superstar. You know, just because he plays basketball or you know football or whatnot. In college, you know, what's the next level? You know, what's the impact that that's going to be? Uh, that's going to produce in his life on the on on the long term. So, you know, quite a hot topic, and it's it's funny that you know the topic is being it's being drive by it's being driven by you know California, which has pretty. A lot of professional players, especially the NBA, that some of them didn't even go to college. 
So, you know, if, if, if they're facing, they're forcing that kind of stuff, you know, thinking only at the welfare of the, the athletes, you know, the, the short-term consequences of it, but what are really the long-term consequences of that kind of decision? So, interest is, I'm, I'm not, like I said in the beginning, I'm not really into the college, you know, player development, none of that stuff. I'm just, it's just a view of whoever is out, within the industry, but it's outside of that college world. So, interesting. How do you see the uh, future of, um, of of college sport looking like? Because there's uh, there's many things involved with college sport. There's TV rights, there's broadcasting, there's there's uh, actual development teams, and there's many many tiers. So if if we're having all this money that's going to get poured into different states, what's going to happen to the students that play in, for example, in in Florida? They can't get paid, but they know if they go to California that they, but they can get paid. So is that is that not going to unbalance the actual demand or the actual um, sh- student count in different colleges and precincts? Oh, for sure. I mean, if we look at uh, if we look at recruiting, right? Let's talk about recruiting. So uh, if if you are a player that, you know, if you are a football player or a basketball player uh, that, you know, knows that if you go to certain schools, you'll be able to get paid, you for sure will, you know, give them preference to those schools. And if that happens, you know, let's look at the other side of the coin. Now, what about the other schools that are really... You know, according to the, the, the golden rule of sports and amateurism that, you know, provide a kid with an education to make sure that the, they have the opportunity through sports to have a good education, right? Uh, and those schools are not going to be able to recruit. So maybe the quality will go down or maybe there's going to be a, a natural adjustment of conferences or whoever the school is going to play. So, for example, if we take if we take California and if we look at the conferences that the, the California schools are in, uh, maybe the, there's going to be an imbalance of you know of schedules because people will not or the other schools are not going to be able to and are not going to want to uh, schedule games with the California universities because you know they know the assets are being paid or because you know. They're not going to be able to play in any of the championships, or vice versa, right? So this is this is another thing. And and if we look at from a broadcast and from a, a revenue standpoint for all of those all of those colleges or universities, um, we know that we are talking about well, really, really, we're talking about football and American football and and basketball, right? Uh, from one side, uh, I can truly see that, uh, that, that, that paid athlete will kind of hurt the system a little bit, but uh, he will have some, some kind of adjustments. Uh, but on the other side, it will be interesting to see what is the, uh, the impact on the, the business impact of, of those, uh, athletic departments, you know, because if we look at each of the schools, right? Let's let's take a 
AD1 school. There is a research that says that the, uh, the, the amount of money that the alumni, the former students or whoever graduated from that school, the amount of money that those, the alumni base gives back to the school, it's almost as one-to-one -one correlated to how well your football team is doing. So right now, LSU alumni, they are just you no know, giving back money to the school because LSU is the number one. It's undefeated. They just beat Alabama. Right? This is all they talk about. So what is the business side of it? You know, how, how, how all of those variables are going to come to play is going to be interesting because, you know, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of money involved within, within all of those programs, right? It's, it's crazy how, how those programs are uh, unbalanced from one side when you look from a, from a business perspective. Uh, also, if we look at, if we talk about broadcast, you know, that's, another, that's another example. You know? uh, more and more, we'll start to see uh, that TV is going gonna to have to lower the money because lower the, the, the paychecks because, you know, now you have Facebook Live, Instagram Live, and, you know, live streaming that, uh, you know, maybe I don't want to see all the, the games. I just want to see my school games. And I just want to see UCF, right? UCF is where I went to school. Why should I be, you know, watching Georgia or whatever and, and, and the TV when I want to see UCF? So, you know, Facebook channels, Facebook live streaming, YouTube, all of those technologies coming to play, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what's that, what's the impact on the real broadcast and the broadcast fees and all of that money that flows back to each of those schools. So, my next question was, interest. yeah, my, my next question was going to be how will technology impact the whole college system, but and the broadcasting and whatnot, but you've answered it for me, so <laughs> you're always a step ahead, which is good. <laughs> um, yeah, all right, yeah, I mean, live streaming is it, it, here, this is a reality. Uh, I've seen and, and I've, I've been in touch with a lot of uh, services out there, service providers from, you know, that that do drone filming and drone live broadcasting, which is pretty awesome, uh, you know, and, and gives a, a whole nother perspective on TV scheduling, on whatever I'm going to, you know, pay to watch and pay-per-view and all of this stuff. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah, literally there's services out there now where you can have your own channel on or your own series or your own event on Amazon Prime, Netflix, uh, Roku, all of them. And then you can even have pay-per-view as well and whatnot. So it's become unbelievably easy to do all these things. So uh, it's going to be interesting to, to see what happens with the next TV rights and whatnot, whether maybe colleges start doing it themselves. So on, so on, so on. So, in, t in terms of that, it's definitely different. In terms of the, the grassroots sports, how is tech technology impacting uh, sport at that level? Uh, I would say that they are getting more and more innovation on the grassroots level, right? So, uh, because if we go down to the youth sports, 
uh, especially in the U.S., we have a lot, a lot of demand for youth sports. So the base, you know, pretty much every kid in America will play some kind of sport. And it's funny because all of the parents think that they are going to make to the NFL or to the NBA. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a system that, you know, demands technology, demands training, demands uh, statistics. Uh, and it's, it's incredible the, the level of innovation that's being used uh, from, from, from tennis to volleyball to, to rugby to, you know, in all aspects of sports. Um, uh, one example is, is we have the USTA uh, here in Orlando, which is one of the, one of the greatest uh, tennis centers in the world where the USA team trains and they have more than a hundred courts and everything else. But what is cool is that they have a couple of tennis courts that they are wired and they have cameras and you can download the app and get all the statistics of your, of your tennis uh, swing and if it's a right swing, if it's a left swing and What's the rotation of the ball? What the, the, the speed of the ball? You know where that ball is going to go, and all kinds of statistics around your play, around how you're playing, and that kind of technology is it, it's accessible for everybody. I mean, I can have my kid, you know, ten year old guy, just just go out there and just practice for one or two hours and get all of his statistics and. Understand that, hey, I need to, uh, he needs to work on his left swing or his right swing, right? So technology and innovation is more and more and more accessible right now for roots level, for roots, roots level, now, than it was five years ago, so to speak. And that's, and that's a really advantage for whoever wants to, you know, get better, whoever wants to train and whoever wants to, you know, enjoy the, the, the sports that they love, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's going to be fascinating. The level of competition is definitely going to increase at local levels and grassroots levels and youth levels because now we have so much to tell us what we're doing right and what, what we're doing wrong and how, and how we can do it better. So it's awesome because it just improves level after level and then you get better athletes at the end. And that's why you have better systems and countries doing uh, – Playing better sports or are better at sports than than other countries. Those that invest in their yep. systems will prosper and will do well. Those that don't will just stay stagnant. It's a, it's as simple as that. Yeah, and uh, we can even go outside here in the U.S. I'm, I'm I know because I've I've got in touch with some of those guys. Uh, they use a lot of data and all of the data analytics uh, in soccer. Uh, I'm not, I think it was Real Madrid that has a specific uh, algorithm for all the soccer players that they analyze all the passes and their movements on the field and all this stuff. And, and then they just give it back to the players to make sure that they know they're doing, you know, everyone is doing right and everyone is doing what they're supposed to be. So this is, wow. a, this is a tool that can be used from, from professionals and how they are being used professional teams all the way down to the, 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 the grassroots, you know, youth 10, youth 9, soccer uh, girls uh, team that, uh, you know, 
those kids see, can see that technology and the parents can see that technology online and they want access to that kind of stuff. And it, it's becoming cheaper and cheaper. And, and it, like I said, it's, it, it will produce better and better and better athletes. Yeah, it's definitely a lot more accessible. Um, Gustavo, I mean, we, we've, we've had an awesome chat. Thank you very much. I really, really appreciate you j- jumping on the show. Before we let you go, where can we find you online? Okay, so that was my pleasure. Uh, anytime you need anything else, it's, uh, it's, it was a pleasure to share a little bit. Uh, you can uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, so uh, Gustavo Costa uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, or you can uh, shoot me an email. So my email is at Gustavo at ClancySports.com. Uh, you know, just to share, just to exchange a couple of ideas, uh, whatever, just to, you know, ask something else, reach out for something. You know, I'm always, uh, I think, you know, this is the way it should be. We should share, we should connect, and uh, this is how we move the industry forward. So I'm, I'm glad I'm open. Just should be, should be an email or a message and, and it's all good. Awesome. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, Gustavo Costa from Clancy Sport. Thank you very much for joining me on the Sports Finder podcast. Thank you for listening to the Sports Finder podcast. We'll catch you on our next episode. Y'all ready for this?